This is section fifty of Mark Twain A Biography. Volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain A Biography by Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter one hundred and fifty four. The Memoirs of General Grant. The success of Huck Finn, though sufficiently important in itself, prepared the way for a publishing venture by the side of which it dwindled to small proportions one night it was early in november eighteen eighty four when cable and clemens had finished a reading at chickering hall clemens coming out into the wet blackness happened to hear richard watson gilder's voice say to some unseen companion do you know general grant has actually determined to write his memoirs and publish them he said so today, in so many words of course clemens was immediately interested it was the thing he had proposed to grant some three years previously during his call that day with howells concerning the toronto consulship with mrs clemens he promptly overtook gilder and accompanied him to his house where they discussed the matter in its various particulars gilder said that the century editors had endeavored to get grant to contribute to their war series but that not until his financial disaster as a member of the firm of grant and ward had he been willing to consider the matter he said that grant now welcomed the idea of contributing three papers to the series and that the promised payment of five hundred dollars each for these articles had gladdened his heart and relieved him of immediate anxiety somewhat later the century company voluntarily added liberally to this sum gilder added that general grant seemed now determined to continue his work until he had completed a book though this at present was only a prospect clemens was in a habit of calling on grant now and then to smoke a cigar with him and he dropped in next morning to find out just how far the book idea had developed and what were the plans of publication he found the general and his son colonel fred grant discussing some memoranda which turned out to be a proposition from the century company for the book publication of his memoirs clemens asked to be allowed to look over the proposed terms and when he had done so he said general it is clear that the century people do not realize the importance the commercial magnitude of your book it is not strange that this is true for they are comparatively new publishers and have had little or no experience with books of this class the terms they propose indicate that they expect to sell five possibly ten thousand copies a book from your hand telling the story of your life and battles should sell not less than a quarter of a million perhaps twice that sum it should be sold only by subscription and you are entitled to double the royalty here proposed i do not believe it is to your interest to conclude this contract without careful thought and investigation write to the american publishing company at hartford and see what they will do for you but grant demurred he said that while no arrangements had been made with the century company he thought it only fair and right that they should have the book on reasonable terms certainly on terms no greater than he could obtain elsewhere 
he said that all things being equal the book ought to go to the man who had first suggested it to him clemens spoke up general if that is so it belongs to me grant did not understand until clemens recalled to him how he had urged him in that former time to write his memoirs had pleaded with him agreeing to superintend the book's publication then he said general i am publishing my own book and by the time yours is ready it is quite possible that i shall have the best equipped subscription establishment in the country if you will place your book with my firm and i feel that i have at least an equal right in the consideration i will pay you twenty per cent of the list price or if you prefer i will give you seventy per cent of the net returns and i will pay all office expenses out of my thirty per cent general grant was really grieved at this proposal it seemed to him that here was a man who was offering to bankrupt himself out of pure philanthropy a thing not to be permitted he intimated that he had asked the century company president roswell smith a careful-headed business man if he thought his book would pay as well as sherman's which the scribners had published at a profit to sherman of twenty five thousand dollars and that smith had been unwilling to guarantee that amount to the author mark twain's notebook under the date of march eighteen eighty five contains this memorandum roswell smith said to me i'm glad you got the book mr clemens glad there was somebody with courage enough to take it under the circumstances what do you think the general wanted to require of me he wanted me to insure a sale of twenty-five thousand sets of his book i wouldn't risk such a guarantee on any book that was ever published yet roswell smith not so many years later had so far enlarged his views of subscription publishing that he fearlessly and successfully invested a million dollars or more in a dictionary regardless of the fact that the market was already thought to be supplied clemens said general i have my check-book with me i will draw you a check now for twenty-five thousand dollars for the first volume of your memoirs and will add a like amount for each volume you may write as an advance royalty payment and your royalties will continue right along when this amount has been reached colonel fred grant now joined in urging that matters be delayed at least until more careful inquiry concerning the possibilities of publishing could be made clemens left then and set out on his trip with cable turning the whole matter over to webster and colonel fred for settlement meantime the word that general grant was writing his memoirs got into the newspapers and various publishing propositions came to him in the end the general sent over to philadelphia for his old friend george w childs and laid the whole matter before him childs said later it was plain that general grant on the score of friendship if for no other reason distinctly wished to give the book to mark twain it seemed not to be a question of how much money he would make 
but of personal feeling entirely. Webster's complete success with Huck Finn being now demonstrated, Colonel Fred Grant agreed that he believed Clemens and Webster could handle the book as profitably as anybody, and after investigation Childs was of the same opinion. The decision was that the firm of Charles L. Webster and Company should have the book, and arrangements for drawing the contract were made. General Grant, however, was still somewhat uneasy as to the terms. He thought he was taking an unfair advantage in receiving so large a proportion of the profits. He wrote to Clemens, asking him which of his two propositions, the twenty per cent gross royalty or the seventy per cent of the net profit, would be the best all round. Clemens sent Webster to tell him that he believed the simplest, as well as the most profitable for the author, would be the twenty per cent arrangement, whereupon Grant replied that he would take the alternative, as in that case, if the book were a failure and there were no profits, Clemens would not be obliged to pay him anything. He could not consent to the thought of receiving twenty per cent on a book published at a loss. Meantime Grant had developed a serious illness. The humiliation of his business failure had undermined his health. The papers announced his malady as cancer of the tongue. In a memorandum which Clemens made, February 26, 1885, he states that on the 21st he called at the Grant home, 3 East 66th Street, and was astonished to see how thin and weak the general looked. He was astonished because the newspaper, in a second report, had said the threatening symptoms had disappeared, that the cancer alarm was a false one. I took for granted the report, and said I had been glad to see that news. He smiled and said, Yes, if it had only been true. One of the physicians was present, and he startled me by saying the general's condition was the opposite of encouraging. Then the talk drifted to business, and the general presently said, I mean you shall have the book. I have about made up my mind to that, but I wish to write to Mr. Roswell Smith first and tell him I have so decided. I think this is due him. From the beginning the general has shown a fine delicacy toward those people, a delicacy which was native to the character of the man who put into the Appomattox terms of surrender the words, Officers may retain their side-arms to save General Lee the humiliation of giving up his sword. Notebook. The physician present was Dr. Douglas, and upon Clemens assuming that the general's trouble was probably due to smoking, also that it was a warning to those who smoked to excess, himself included, Dr. Douglas said that General Grant's affliction could not be attributed altogether to smoking, but far more to his distress of mind, his year-long depression of spirit, the grief of his financial disaster. Dr. Douglas's remark started General Grant upon the subject of his connection with Ward, which he discussed with great freedom and apparent relief of mind. Never at any time did he betray any resentment toward Ward, 
but characterized him as one might an offending child. He spoke as a man who has been deeply wronged and humiliated and betrayed, but without a venomous expression or one with revengeful nature. Clemens confessed in his notes that all the time he himself was inwardly boiling, scalding Ward, flaying him alive, breaking him on the wheel, pounding him to a jelly. While he was talking, Colonel Grant said, Father is letting you see that the Grant family are a pack of fools, Mr. Clemens. The general objected to this statement. He said that the facts could be produced which would show that when Ward laid siege to a man he was pretty certain to turn out to be a fool, as much of a fool as any of the Grant family. He said that nobody could call the president of the Erie Railroad a fool, yet Ward had beguiled him of eight hundred thousand dollars, robbed him of every cent of it. He cited another man that no one could call a fool who had invested in Ward to the extent of half a million. He went on to recall many such cases. He told of one man who had come to the office on the eve of departure for Europe and handed Ward a check for fifty thousand dollars, saying, I have no use for it at present. See what you can do with it for me. By and by this investor, returning from Europe, dropped in and said, Well, did anything happen? Ward indifferently turned to his private ledger, consulted it, then drew a check for $250,000 and handed it over, with the casual remark, Well, yes, something happened. Not much yet. A little too soon. The man stared at the check, then thrust it back into Ward's hand. That's all right. It's plenty good enough for me. Uh, set that hen again, and left the place. Of course, Ward made no investments. His was the first playing on a colossal scale of the now worn-out get-rich-quick confidence game. Such dividends as were made came out of the principal. Ward was the Napoleon of that game, whether he invented it or not. Clemens agreed that, as far as himself or any of his relatives were concerned, they would undoubtedly have trusted Ward. Colonel Grant followed him to the door when he left, and told him that the physicians feared his father might not live more than a few weeks longer, but that meantime he had been writing steadily, and that the first volume was complete and fully half the second. Three days later the formal contract was closed, and Webster and Company promptly advanced General Grant $10,000 for imminent demands. A welcome arrangement, for Grant's debts and expenses were many, and his available resources restricted to the century payments for his articles. Immediately the office of Webster and Company was warm with affairs. Reporters were running hot-foot for news of the great contract by which Mark Twain was to publish the life of General Grant. No publishing enterprise of such vast moment had ever been undertaken, and no publishing event, before or since, ever received the amount of newspaper comment. The names of General Grant and Mark Twain associated would command columns, whatever the event, and that Mark Twain was to become the publisher of Grant's own story of his battles was of unprecedented importance. The partners were sufficiently occupied. Estimates and prices for vast quantities of paper were considered, all available presses were contracted for, binderies were pledged exclusively for the Grant book. Clemens was boiling over with plans and suggestions for distribution. 
Webster was half wild with the tumult of the great campaign. Applications for agencies poured in. In those days there were general subscription agencies which divided the country into districts, and the heads of these agencies Webster summoned to New York and laid down the law to them concerning the new book. It was not a time for small dealings, and Webster rose to the occasion. By the time these men returned to their homes they had practically pledged themselves to a quarter of a million sets of the Grant memoirs, and this estimate they believed to be conservative. Webster now moved into larger and more pretentious quarters. He took a storeroom at 42 East 14th Street, Union Square, and surrounded himself with a capable force of assistance. He had become, all at once, the most conspicuous publisher in the world. End of chapter 154 The Memoirs of General Grant Read by John Greenman